Welcome to another interview that I'm excited to have here with Tato Biggio, the co-founder and CEO of UBQ Materials. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. All right. So the reason why I wanted to speak to you is I've seen a lot of your content, um, a lot of press actually over many years of what your product does. So maybe you can kind of explain it a little bit about what is UBQ and why do you take something that seems so crazy and so simplified? Yeah. The uh, UBQ has developed a truly a revolutionary technology that never existed before. Uh, we can take the entire waste that you have in your bag in your house, all of it, not only the plastics, all of it. The cucumbers, the banana peels, the salad left over, the soup, and the pizza, and the box of the pizza, and the paper, and the diapers, all of it together with the mixed plastics that are embedded in that waste uh-huh. and convert all these materials together into one homogeneous, consistent thermoplastic material, meaning that we can produce a new plastic that never existed before, which is green, entirely made out of waste, as opposed to conventional plastics that are entirely made out of oil. Okay, so that sounds hard to believe. So anything, so that includes aluminum, gasoline, anything that, literally anything that's in my trash right now, or, or in any recycling bin, you'll, you take it and then you go ahead and you make it into reusable material. Uh, material. Correct. When we, uh, when we uh, supply our material, our UBQ uh, plastic, thermoplastic material to the plastic industry, uh, we would remove metals and minerals because they are abrasive to those machines. If we would do it for construction purposes, we can leave those materials inside. So we have uh, uh, the, the potential to use 100% or to remove metals and minerals and then return them back to the recyclers because these are high value materials. Right. So at the end of the day, we're taking the vast majority of the waste and the valuables like metals and minerals, returning them. So it's really 100%. Do you even make revenue from like that aluminum that you're able to pull out? Yes. What do you use, magnets or how do you pull? You pull it, uh, aluminum, you cannot use magnet because it's not ferrous. So you use a different technology, which is called the the eddy current technology, standard, Mm -hmm. we invented it. Uh, and it helps you keep out the, the non-ferrous metal. So you use magnets for ferrous and the eddy currents for non-ferrous. So, I mean, my trash can, let's say, can be very, or let's say one community's can be very different from someone else's. So how do you ensure that your the product that you produce for them to be reused, right. that there's a consistency or an understanding of it if, you know, from even different towns, different households, different cities, different communities, the trash looks very, very different. So how do you ensure that it comes out into the same product that can then be reused? Uh, The first element to consider when you're talking about homogeneity is that we're not taking your bag from your house. We're taking all the bags from all the houses in the city via the transfer station, the place where typically all these waste collectors that come early in the morning will dump it in order to take it there to landfills. When you have the sum of all the waste of a big community, for example, a big city like Sydney, New York, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam, you will find that in, 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 uh, in the big numbers, the statistics are very consistent. Right, right. Okay? Not this day in your house and that other day in your right. house, but the statistic, okay? Right. Now, it is true that at the end of the day, that statistic can shift. Uh, and if it shifts uh, consistently or, or, or significantly at the factory, we have the possibility to add on 
organic matter or uh, any stream okay, to balance so out. Perfect, got it. But that stream is also a waste stream that is separated, okay, that we can control and then, uh, and then create exactly the formulation that we need. But it is really surprising that in the statistic of the big numbers, the waste consistency is very, very, very standard. Right, the, the law of large numbers, awesome. So uh, we'll get back to the business and how it works, but maybe you can take us at how it started. So tell us about your background, where you're from. Um, you can tell us about your offices we're sitting, and obviously, your, and tell us a little bit about how UBQ came to be. How did you end up co-founding it? How does one come up with such an idea that seems so inconceivable, yet so simple when you say it? There is a, there is a saying that Professor Alecho Saif, who is one of the brains that help us develop this technology, uh, he's, uh, he's the head of the uh, nanobiotechnology department in the Hebrew University and a very well-known scientist. He said to us that if a student would have come to him, uh, you know, to make his doctorate and tell him, I will use household waste to convert it into one thermoplastic material that can abide to industry standard, he said, I would throw him out of the university. If that guy would have come, well, that, that guy were, were a group of people that, uh, including me, that came to talk to him because we found that there was a certain merit in the fact that waste, even though, as you said, is very heterogeneous, its composition at the level of organics and plastics is quite standard. Typically, waste is about 80 to 85 percent organics. Organics is paper, cardboard, and food residues and garden trimmings. And the balance is plastics, mixed plastics. I'm taking out the metals and the minerals because we will remove them and they are about three to four percent, not, not a big thing, okay? So that is plus minus. And if we go uh, to, 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 to the organics, not to the plastics, like the recyclers typically do, they take only the plastics, separate them, separate them, clean them, and then recycle it back to what they were before, polypropylene into polypropylene, polyethylene into polyethylene. We said, no, let's take the organic part, which is the mass of the waste, 85% of it, okay? The big pie of the pizza of the waste and take that and do organic chemistry to turn it into a thermoplastic. And since nature uh, 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 has been very uh, uh, favorable in terms of uh, uh, having us a, a organic matter created with very clear uh, structures, if we know those structures, then we can combine them and create a new matrix, a new type of material. Right. And that was the idea behind it. When we spoke about it with him, he said, this is absolutely something super interesting and, and we should pursue it. And that is how UBQ came to life. And did you work with that professor? Yes. And he, all right, terrific. So you guys decided, okay, we have this idea. It seems feasible. Yeah. So you, then what? You went to raise money to go see if you can maybe so, research so, and develop it? Yes. You talked through the business, the fundraising, and your partners that helped you go from an idea, right, that on paper might sound good, but how to bring it into execution. Right. Uh, uh, the seed money, the angel money, uh, is what enabled us to, to start an operation. Uh, with that, we could build a prototype that showed the case of of the of the potential technology and then uh, very soon uh, we started i started looking for uh, strategic investors uh, people that not only are looking for the return on on investment on a on a on a, on a very interesting development 
But people that understand the market, understand the, the, the commodity market of plastics, and uh, in other way, uh, words, I was looking for a strategic partner. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get lucky and, and, and sometimes you don't and you find the right person. Sometimes you, it takes two or three rounds to find the right uh, investor. In our case, uh, I have to say that we were uh, lucky also um, and we chose correctly. Um, today, uh, our chairman and co-CEO is that guy that 10 years ago uh, became our strategic partner. And since then, has, he has been supporting very much this technology. And the reason is that every time we went uh, to scale the company and, and went through um, developments that, that showed that the, that the technology was, uh, was being successful, uh, he retained his position. And therefore, uh, our cap table was very simple. Uh, uh, and that enabled us also to work more comfortably in, in, in focusing on the development of the technology and less on capital markets, even though we always, we always has to had to taste the water, always, before anyone, including uh, our strategic investors, would uh, put the additional money we required. How much have you raised so far? So look, in the last uh, two years, I, I will talk about it, is uh, we had a very big funding uh, two years ago from uh, probably the most prominent equity uh, fund in the world, TPG, Climate. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that capital funding included a few other, uh, uh, you know, uh, established investors from the UK and the, and the United States, uh, $170 million. Mm -hmm. And uh, only three months ago, uh, we raised an additional $70 million uh, on a capital funding led by even uh, capital partners that, uh, that is a very prominent group uh, also in the East Coast of the United States. How much, as you scale and grow, so let's say the last 70 million you raised a few months ago, how much more, is there additional value to the partnership other than the money, of course, to scale and we're talking manufacturing, we'll get to that. Other than the money, what kind of partnership comes when you're already have raised 170 million, raised under 70? Or is it just pure about just capital in terms? It's look the 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 we're working on a different space than the typical space. Uh, high tech companies in Israel work in the digital space. We are in the physical space. We need to build machines, machines that are very costly and uh, very uh, precise. Uh, typically, we work with uh, very very prominent suppliers, German, Austrian, from the Netherlands. Okay, also from the U.S. Uh, uh, in order to create a very robust process technology that enable us really to take waste and convert it into a plastic that will end up being a plastic product. It's just that it's made out of household waste and not from oil. And that, that process is, uh, is complicated and you need to have uh, really the best suppliers because you need also their support, their service. If you need to do some changes, again, this is a development technology. So we ended up having a, a, um, a very well-established process line here in the south of Israel, where we began our R&D in Kibbutz Elim. We have an industrial plant, which is adjacent to a landfill. That is why we choose that place. We had an industrial site, we had a landfill, and we could at the beginning play with the waste in order to develop the technology. Today, of course, the waste is coming all over from Tel Aviv, and we are producing their UVQ material to export to other places, also to supply in Israel. 
So the, the, once we had that working and, and, and the process line uh, balanced correctly and just producing UBQ constantly, we decided that we will expand and we needed a lot of capital in order to create that expansion. And now, uh, as I was telling you before, we are completing, actually we're commissioning a plan that is 15, 15 times bigger uh, than the Israeli one in the Netherlands, in the south of the Netherlands, that will supply 80,000 tons of UBQ material uh, to the European market and to other markets while, while we continue developing, uh, establishing new plants in other places of the, of the world, including, of course, the United States. So before we get to the expansion in the Netherlands and the United States, you said that your first uh, factory was uh, in southern Israel. So from the Hamas atrocities massacre, were you guys affected in any way? Yeah, well, we, we, we actually choose uh, the southern region uh, in a way also because we thought that we wanted to be involved in developing the periphery of Israel. Uh, there is, a, there is a, a dream for any Israelis to, is to bloom the desert. And, and we strongly wanted, uh, wanted to be part of that, of that mission. Uh, UBQ is a mission. Our team are embedded in a mission. And part of it is also a, a, the social mission of UBQ. Um, the communities uh, around Tzelim are truly those that were affected. Uh, most of our employees in the UBQ Tzelim plant come from these different communities, Faraza, uh, Oz, Be'eri, all the names that you heard now in the news. Well, uh, we were very much affected by the, by the events of the 7th of October. Um, we lost two colleagues. Adar uh, uh, Rosenfeld uh, was uh, shot dead with uh, her husband. Um, they had two little twins uh, uh, also with them in the refugee room. Uh, they were not shot, uh, not because, uh, you know, they... Uh, they thought it was uh, something that you shouldn't do because they killed a lot of kids. Uh, it's just that their cry was a very good trap to bring the soldiers to try and save them and then mm -hmm. shoot them out. So they were sitting in the salon waiting for, for soldiers to come in. And that is part of the tragedy of this story. Um, she and her husband uh, passed away and now the, these little kids are going to be raised by the grandparents. Um, the... Then uh, we lost Uri Russo, uh, who was the head engineer of the plant and second plant manager. Uh, Uri was defending his family and he was shot dead. Apparently they didn't understand that he was shot dead in the house uh, because they said there is a guy here that is shooting, so let's leave this house alone. And that's how he saved uh, his wife and three kids. Well, because he's gone, yeah. Because, okay, because, but, but the last bullet that was, was shot from outside killed him. So, uh, so, so, but they didn't know that the terrorists, like, they just said, hey, let's not, you know, let's not mess with this, with this house. Um, we also had the, uh, another 19 members in this, in this kibbutzim. So additional 19 members, all of them have been uh, relocated because of course these communities were completely destroyed. The houses were burned, their possessions were taken. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and some of them had family, uh, direct family uh, lost. For example, our CTO uh, 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 has a son, he's married, and, and, and the, the woman was shot dead. 
So we, we have, you know, and then, of course, many, many, many friends, the communities, the, those friends are, are gone. Um, so you can imagine that the first two weeks uh, we were very much involved in supporting our team, uh, giving them all the, all the backing that, that they needed. Uh, I have to say the, that the, there was enormous solidarity in the community. Uh, you might know that. that uh, but yet, in addition, we, we, we need to take care of each one of them uh, from uh, their immediate necessities to, to what will happen next. Uh, we're a very, very uh, connected uh, team of people. And, uh, and, we, uh, and that was the power we had in order to uh, put us back uh, uh, on track. We, after two and a half weeks, we asked them all, if the army allows us to come back to the, to the facility, are you willing to, to start working again? And all of them said, yes. Yes, we need to go. We need to continue. Okay? We, we, the only way to continue our lives is to continue, is to continue our life. Right. And, uh, and the three weeks, almost three weeks later, the UBQ plant in Selim was back on track. Uh, some of the guys that were relocated could work from a distance. The others, uh, we arranged from them cars and mobility to be able to come uh, to the plant. And if you go today to the plant in Selim, of course, there is some sadness around what happened, but uh, the team is completely committed to continue and not even that. It's just to grow the business and show uh, that uh, terror that uh, we know better than 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 just uh, holding our lives. So, as, as so, the countries really come together and become stronger. Right. Um, in your business, have you seen uh, more efficiency or kind of like I'm sure culturally there's more unity? How is that translated into the business? Because you have these on the one hand, obviously there's a greater sense of purpose that might be good for that good for the business and good for everyone on the other hand you people that are working remotely not from their homes because they're don't live in their homes anymore because they're refugees or they're doing crazy commutes that they wouldn't have done so overall how has that affected i'm just curious the the positive and negative now that you're back on yeah. working again mm -hmm. how is that how has it affected your business so first of all what we did in parallel to being very close to our team and supporting, giving all the, uh, all the all, anything that they really needed, uh, uh, we were very much in touch with all our stakeholders, investors, the suppliers, our clients, uh, to try and create a, 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 a community where everyone is aware of what is happening, okay? So we were communicated, me and uh, Albert, uh, my co-CEO, every three days we would send a letter to each one of them, a different letter, explaining and stating what was going on in the company. And in a way that also created the bonding and the connection for all of them to be able to support where they needed and to feel the continuity of, of, of the business. We were uh, you know, communicating very, very regularly. And I think that it was strongly appreciated and the level of support that we got from them was also felt by the team. So the team was showing that they wanted to go back. Our, all our stakeholders were behind us. And those energies were, uh, were the ones that enabled us just to come back a month later, uh, operating the plant and thinking about the future.
always remembering, of course, the past. So um, kind of take a, a step back. You have uh, an accent that sounds familiar to me in my personal life, but maybe not to many, too many Israelis. So where are you from? I'm originally from uh, Lima, Peru. From Peru. And there aren't many Olim from Peru, right? So my question is, um, has the culture of being uh, Peruvian, how has that kind of affected the way your Aliyah and in your business? Do you think maybe you have a different perspective on the world that, let's say, a North American or a Sabra Israeli or European wouldn't, or uh, a Mizrahi yeah. wouldn't necessarily have? So the community of uh, uh, the Jewish community of Peru is very small. That is why you don't see too many uh, right. uh, Olim from Peru. But proportionally, there's a lot of Olim from Peru to the size of the community. Okay. So it's a very Zionist community. Uh, we were raised, uh, 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 you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a very ordered fashion as a community. And um, when I was 18, I decided I wanted to, to come uh, to uh, study in Israel. Uh, the idea was, if it works out, I'll end up staying because I admire the state of Israel in my heart. Uh, and I have to tell you that anyone who comes to Israel because of a decision of coming, not because he's desperate, uh, uh, you know, to escape somewhere. But when you choose to come, in a way, you're taking a very entrepreneurial decision. That's correct, yeah. And, uh, and if you succeed and you become part of this uh, and, um, and then you, f you start feeling that you can make it even further. Um, that is why I think that in, in many cases, immigrants have a lot of beautiful stories all over the place. Yeah, that's exactly. I agree with you. Yeah, they often do. You have to overcome so much just to get to where you are. And then you say, okay, so I can, I can move on. I can do more. I can take that the spirit, that energy, right. and create something new. That, that is, in a way, the entrepreneurial spirit that, that I found myself when I, when I came into, into, generally into business. Um, so um, the, 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 the spirit uh, is, of course, still uh, Latin American, uh, but I'm a complete Sabra already after so many years. You're the army completely, here, right? yeah, completely, so you're completely, Israeli completely once, yeah. uh, part of the of the community, and and yet uh, with a very international vi vision that allows you also to be to be a citizen of the world. Understand that there are different uh, ideas, different ways of doing things, different cultures, and uh, and and that also helps establish the right connections when you move further into a company that wants to establish internationally. So everything was in a way built to happen. So um, let's talk into the, let's move over to the business side of EPQ. How does the economics work? Um, do you have, um, since you're green technology, do you get grants or tax incentives from different governments? Uh, is it economical? Because it seems like so much work and technology goes into it. You know, sometimes maybe just creating things from economies of scale of plastics or something, why would they use your product? So maybe if we can talk a little bit about the business um, and how you make it economical. Because right. at the end of the day, if it's not economical, but usually green technology doesn't move, right? That's where we're going to see the breaking point for electric cars. As they become more and more economical, we'll expect to see it to take off. Exactly. So uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are very many uh, 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 companies that come with extraordinary services or products that cost twice or three, twice or three, three times more, and, and, and yet you know, they, they don't become uh, 
a household name because it's impossible for people to pay those differences. One of the, of the central elements of developing this technology was to make it as efficient as, as it can be because you need to catch up with 100 years of plastics where they have been creating efficiencies along the way and economies of scale to a level where, where they're extremely, extremely, you know, uh, in, the, in the edge of technology. I mean, they cannot do even a, a little more uh, to drop the prices. Now you're coming with a new technology, zero years, zero knowledge uh, 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 in terms of the market. The beauty of UBQ is that we start with a raw material that they pay us to take it. Mm -hmm. So that is a very convenient way of starting a business, not to pay for your feedstock, but to get paid for it, okay? Then creating a very, very solid and efficient process where we will remove uh, these abrasive materials like metals and minerals and drop a little of the moisture of the waste because it comes very wet, okay? And then a process technology of conversion where we take the waste and pass it on through a reaction process where at the end of the day you get this plastic pellet that we will ship to the plastic industry to create sustainable, climate-positive, circular products. Well, that is where, 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 where the secret was. How to create that process so efficiently that we can come to the market at a competitive price. And, and that's what we achieved. So UBQ today... When did you achieve the point where you became competitive in price? Um, and look, maybe you can talk about what was that one main technology that was hard for you to be able to crack in order for you to bring the price down so dramatically? There was no one thing. It was, it was working all the systems. It was working all, all the, the, all the It's things. like you have a journey full of bridges that you need to cross. Right. And it might happen that there is one bridge that is impossible to cross and you don't. And it might happen that you think that there is a bridge that is impossible to, thaw, to cross, but then you get there. You get there and you think, wait, how I circumvent this? And in, in this space, I think that here's where you have the, the entrepreneurial spirit of this group. We, when we didn't know anything or we, we needed some assistance, uh, and even our top scientists couldn't break it, we would uh, you know, consult the academy, we would consult institutes, we would consult companies. And the ecosystem in Israel allows you to move very fast and very high. Yeah, do you want to talk about that, actually? Yes, of course. Well, why, Look, why, why is it that you're able to move so fast? Uh, in Israel, in particular. Yeah, in the collaboration in right. Israel is, is embedded in the, in the way of life here. People are very solid to each other. Also, uh, when, when it comes into, into business, Israeli ones really like to find solutions to things. Then they think about what's in it for them. But first, they want to find a solution. You have a problem, I will solve it for you. And that mentality is, is truly great. Uh, Israelis are, are, are problem solvers. Uh, they are not afraid of, of difficulties. They are not afraid of, of, of not being successful. Uh, they're just there. Um, on the other hand, there is a very high level of professionalism in the academy, in the business sector. Uh, so we could pick the best brains. We work with the we work with the Weizmann Institute, as I told you, with the Hebrew University, with the Technion, with the Shenkar Institute of Plastic and Rubber. Who don't you work with? With uh, Ben Gurion, exactly, with, with, with whom we don't. But we also work with some institutes abroad uh, who also give us some angles into things. And of course, for the, for the mechanical parts of the process, we needed our suppliers to help us solve certain issues that we confronted. 
And as I told you before, working with top-line suppliers that understood the potential of this technology gave us an edge in order to have them put their brains into solving our problem because at the end of the, of the day, potentially, this could be a new industry and open up a whole new market for them. And actually, that is what happened. So everyone who was involved in the UBQ development is part of this success story and is now, in a way, a stakeholder in the company working with us. That's cool. So going back to the economics of it, um, you, you're competitive. What does that mean? That means the alternative of straight, non-recycled plastic. How much more expensive are you? So there, when you want to find a thermoplastic material, a plastic, uh, to create a product, you can either go to a virgin plastic, which is that polymer that just went out from the petrochemical plant, right? A very clean, uh, new uh, quality material. That's a virgin plastic. An alternative to that virgin plastic is recycled plastics. Typically, you have two recycled type of plastics. One is mechanically recycled, where that end product would be recycled back into what it was, uh, into, into, into the material it was before. So for example, take a tray of McDonald's, okay? It, right. was, it used to be polypropylene. It breaks, they can grind it back, right? And take back that plastic and use it as recycled polypropylene to create either that tray or any other product, a hanger, a car part, anything, right? It's a raw material, again. But recycled plastic has a drop in quality. Mm. Notwithstanding the drop in quality, since markets really want to use uh, recycled materials because they want to create, a, be part of the circular economy, they're willing to pay a very similar price to recycle. Uh, the, and so the price it. is similar, but the quality is a little bit worse. A little, a little worse. And then, what happens is that in some places, there's, there's not much availability of recycled. You can find places or times where recycled plastics are even more expensive than virgin plastics because the demand is so high, people need to use recycled content in order to be able to sell their products. By the way, in Europe today, there is a tendency to oblige companies to use minimum recycled content. For example, in the car industry, it's already 30%, 30%, packaging also 30%. So you need to find recycled content and you, you need to pay. Otherwise, you get a very big fee. So we have the recycling and then you have the chemical recycling, which is a very high-end way of recycling. It's like taking that uh, used plastic, breaking, it, breaking down. it down into molecules and creating a virgin plastic. Problem, two or three times more expensive than the virgin plastic. So that technology is not yet evolved to the place we need to, it to have. UBQ comes at a price that is in line with the virgins and the recycles. So here you have a menu of choices, okay? You can use virgin, you can use recycled plastics, and you can use UBQ material. Why would you use UBQ material? It's circular, it's bio-based, it's climate positive. In other words, it saves emissions because we say we save the landfill waste from making all these big emissions. It's circular, it's highly recyclable, and it's competitive. Amazing. Um, and how's the quality of the UBQ compared to other recycled? Compared to compared to the recycled plastics, were very similar. Uh -huh. So so we have a huge market uh, to develop. So let's talk about the challenges of uh, manufacturing first. So I mean, you had a plant for first year in Israel, right outside of Gaza in the south. Um, Israel is not really new, well known for its let's say manufacturing or plant. What is it like to build that in Israel first, 
is my first question. And then you're expanding to a plan that's much larger to serve Europe in Amsterdam. Maybe you can talk about the, what lessons you learn that you take there, or do you bring outside help? But maybe we could start with like Israel. It's kind of, we're not only known for manufacturing. And I think we'll see more of that maybe in the future, I feel. Do you, what's your opinion on Israel manufacturing? Yeah, so, so look, uh, uh, you're absolutely right. On the other hand, the bridges of collaboration between Israel and other countries are, are, are very strong. Uh, luckily, we're next to Europe. Uh, the, 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 you know, the machinery industry in Germany, in Italy, in the Netherlands, in Austria is extremely well advanced. So you had the best of two worlds. Here you had the creativity, mm -hmm. the, the, the dynamity, the originality, you know, the innovation part of it. And we had the collaboration with all these big companies, big suppliers, uh, AAA suppliers, that were willing to bet on UBQ, as I told you before, but were also willing to adapt all the changes that we were making while we were here. So we have extraordinary engineers here in Israel and scientists working with those engineers abroad, creating something in, in Tehlim to be able then to expand globally. So it was a great um, um, place to begin uh, an innovation uh, even though it's an industrial innovation, if you want to scale UBQ, then definitely you have to be closer to the big consumer markets where the big brands uh, uh, would be sitting. Uh, and that is why we, as we completed the development of the technology in Tselim, we decided to open up this big plant in the Netherlands. As you can imagine, the ecosystem is very strong, this environmental ecosystem, closer to our suppliers, closer to consumer markets, uh, there is a very strong environmental consciousness also in Europe. So uh, the consumer understands and the companies understand and the waste companies who supply us the materials want to be part of a circular solution. Ah. So the ecosystem, okay, is, is very, fit just, it's just fit. Fits, yeah. Now we are going to be moving uh, next probably to the United States uh, and other places in the world, which we will obviously announce uh, uh, down the road. Uh, to create UBQ plants using local waste, right? Serving those markets uh, more locally. And the idea would be really to establish as many UBQ plants as we can to be able to replace as much plastics uh, or oil-based plastics as we can. Are you basically replacing, in the long term, recycling plants? No, where is, look, this and Or not, because also landfill, because no. you take trash, too. Yeah, exactly. You take yeah. everything, so it's yeah. not even recycling. Exactly. Would, would you take a little bit from the waste management and a little bit from recycling? Let, let me, let me, this is a very important question. We are a complement solution to recycling. Why? Because, as you know, recyclers only work with the plastics that are in the waste. And those plastics have to be taken out and recycled, right? So they take as much plastics as they can. They will still leave some plastics in the waste because they cannot pick everything or because the value of the recyclate is not high and it is not convenient for them. Sometimes HDPE has a good price. Sometimes polypropylene has a bad price. So they pick or not pick. But you have also another phenomena in plastics. There are a lot of plastics that are unrecyclable. Why? Because they are multi-layered plastics and those mm -hmm. you cannot recycle. Take a bag, a plastic bag from the supermarket. Yeah. It's unrecyclable. There's uh, no mechanical recycling process 
that can take that plastic bag and turn it back into plastic, okay? It will go to a landfill or it will be incinerated, worse. So, so at the end of the day, after they picked all, they collected all the plastics, you have all the organics, all the cardboard and all the paper that was not picked that is a, a, a contaminated with the, the organics and aren't recyclable. You have the mixed plastics that were left. We're sitting after them. So we're not bothering the recyclers. On the contrary, we tell the recyclers, take, take the plastics, the metal guys take the metals, the cardboard guys take the cardboard. At the end, you will all leave a residual amount of waste, which is significant, that will end up in landfill. That is where UBQ sit. So we're not competing with them. On the contrary, we're complementing the service that they did by taking the valuable materials. We will use the waste of the waste and turn it back into the market. And that is what we call a, a, a circular economy that works for everyone. What can't you recycle, Ernest? Uh, in, from the, in the waste? Yeah. Everything. Literally everything. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the truth is that the metals and the minerals, they don't participate in the, in, let's say, in the process, in the chemical reaction. But if they're there, the, the, the matrix can, can, can bond them. But again, for the plastic applications, we cannot afford to have metals and minerals. These are abrasive materials for, for very delicate machines. So, so we take them out. And as I told you before, they're returned to the recyclers. We take care of everything else. Let's uh, talk about revenue. Um, where does your revenue come? Because, so basically, would you say, how much of it has to do with, let's say, government involvement of trying to push uh, green and incentives, you know, maybe tax rebates, et cetera? How much comes from demand? Where does your, where does your revenue come from? The business model of UBQ doesn't take into consideration whatsoever any grants or subsidies or taxes or policies to be efficient. It's, UBQ it's probably the most important created, thing you said about your business because created, that means you're sustainable regardless we are sustainable of government. Regardless. So the you, reason we need government support is because we want to release capital to expand faster. And the faster we expand, the more waste we use, the more natural resources we're saving, the more carbon emissions we're saving, the more circular solution we're providing the, the market, the more oil we're saving and all the hazards of processing oil, which create a, a lot of, of, of CO2 and other gases. So I think that it is, um, the company has a purpose, a business purpose on the one hand, but as I told you before, we as a team and as a company are very much visionaries. We want to make a change and to make a change, we need support. Otherwise, this, this will take uh, uh, too many years. And uh, you know what, frankly, the planet doesn't have time. Uh, we need to correct all these efficiencies of the last 400 years of, since the Industrial Revolution. And you sometimes need revolutionary technologies like uh, UBQ to bridge the, the gap until new technologies will appear down the road to help solve this huge problem. In the meantime, UBQ needs all the support it can. Amazing. So when did, did your plan in Amsterdam open yet? So the plant is, is in the Netherlands. It's not exactly in Amsterdam. It's right. in the south, okay? It's closer to Rotterdam. Okay. The plant is being commissioned these days. In other words, all the machines are being now tested, and we expect to start uh, producing commercial material in January 2024. Okay, oh, in, oh, okay right now. How, 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 much, how much bigger is it than your plant in Israel? 15 times bigger. Wow. And then, well, that just makes sense, just market, because are you, does Israel buy trash from other neighboring countries? Trash? Yeah. No. No, I'm just no, wondering. This country produces enormous amounts of trash. No, I'm We're drowning in waste as much as all the world is drowning right. in waste. People try even to export waste. Yeah. 
not because they wanted the waste, it's because they wanted to, to send it to someone else. China was a very good destination in the past. Yeah, China does that. The Americans were very happy with China taking their waste. Yeah. Today it's impossible. Now they have to live with the problem. And that is why the prices of landfill and incineration have gone to the roof. Uh -huh. And new technologies can appear because it's all of a sudden there is a market. Uh -huh. Before, it was so cheap to send it to your neighbor. Because they had to send empty, empty containers back to China. Exactly. So they all, exactly. That was the economics because they exactly. were net export. Yeah, yeah exactly. So the, the, and now that that's changing. But you it could change completely. Yeah, yeah. It could, in the last two years, it's crazy, right? Um, so 15 times bigger. If you were to open up a plant in America, would it like how much like how much geographical area do you try to cover? Let's yeah. say in the future, yeah. like one for all of continental North America doesn't make sense. You would probably have let, give, let me right? give you the numbers. Yeah, the total market plastic market in the world is four hundred million tons. Okay, four hundred million tons. It's a lot. Okay, it's a lot. What's like there's like two billion tons is like all of the trash, right? Something like that. Trash is two billion. Two tons. billion. That's what I thought. Right. So yeah. if you would convert all the trash into into all the plastics you are still left with trash. Right. Okay? So definitely the problem of trash is bigger than the plastic solution. That is why we in UBQ are already thinking about construction. Uh, that is why we're developing new generations of UBQ. Today UBQ is well known in the plastic market because we are selling the pellets the right to, to, to companies that will produce trays to McDonald's, to companies that will produce car parts for Mercedes and Mercedes who produces their own parts as well to Pepsi, et cetera, et cetera, all these big names. And we, and we are, of course, expanding the list. But we are also in parallel as, a, as an innovation company, uh, uh, investing tremendous amounts of, of efforts in, 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 in R&D to create new applications for UBQ material. By the way, UBQ now can be 3D printed, something we couldn't do. Wow. So the filament. Uh, of 3D printing. So wait, if, if I want to have a 3D printer in my office, yes, right, you, and I can get UBQ pellets and I can print with a pellet and I can print. Whatever you can I want. you can find the filament already, right? Uh, produced by a producer, okay, cool. uh, 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 and make a, a very green uh, prototype uh, out of your 3D uh, 3D printer. The uh, the the construction application, bricks, roads, pavements. A, a replacing parts of cement in application, that is the future. Um, so we really went, if you think about it, to the most complicated one. Plastics are very, very, uh, you know, advanced materials. Uh, this market is uh, working with top machinery, very delicate processes. Uh, once we conquer that uh, possibility, uh, we find it a little easier, maybe, to be able to apply this technology into into more massive mar market like construction. Margins are not definitely going to be the same, of course, but the volumes are going to be huge, and we can then make a difference. We can eventually end with landfills. Awesome! That would be cool. Can't wait to see that. Instead of landfills, it'll send you UBQ plants. Uh, how long will it take for your Amsterdam um, plant to get to capacity? Uh, typically, industrial plants are scale over time. You run one line, then you run all the lines. We have six lines there. Then you do one shift, second shift, third shift. So over next year, we'll, we will get to you get full, to full capacity. Full, full capacity. Yeah, yeah. And then would you think to open up another one in Europe? We're working already on opening up another one in Europe and to opening up another one or two in the United States. Uh -huh. And we're also exploring other markets. As I told you before, we will announce it. 
but definitely, uh, I mean, these projects take time. Right. So we're planting the seeds in different countries to be able in the f future to announce more and more ubiquitous plants. So most of your money goes into just expanding plants. Absolutely. Got it. Absolutely. Uh, the, the idea is to have uh, as, much, as many ubiquitous plants as we can to create more and more revenue to support the growth. Uh, this company, if, if we want to make a change, we need to invest a lot in, in, in expansion efforts, in R&D. Uh, 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 and I hope that the markets, as they are evolving into circular economy solutions, efficient technologies, you have to be efficient, you have to be competitive, right. you, you have, have to, to come economical. with a value proposition that no one else uh, uh, can really challenge. Uh, uh, those are the ones that are going to be changing the world. And I am sure that we're one of them. Tato, thank you for changing the world. Mm -hmm. From Tel Aviv at UPQ, thanks for joining in Israel. Thank Tech. you.